the Buffalo Bills cheerleaders all have great instructions in their handbook about how to wash their vaginas. So, <laughs> so I remember that. Yes. So <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, you're looking for a cheerleader? Head to Buffalo, New York. Head to Western, <laughs> what, what we'll call upstate New York. <laughs> yes. And welcome to this uh, 419th episode of Unscripted, the episode that we wrap up the week with, and uh, we like to call it Freeform Friday, where we find topics that people are talking about, sometimes from the wonderful and wacky world of of sports, sometimes not. Chris finds them on our Twitter page, he brings them up, he throws the topic out there, we talk about it, and we move on to the next one. And before we get Chris to... uh, get going with this most current episode of Freeform Friday. I do want to, I was one thing in the, in the other shows this week that I didn't get to, but I did want to make mention of it. Um, the Golden State Warriors right now are a cursed organization. I'm just going to say that. An unbelievable, probably in one of the unprecedented runs they've had the last five years. I can't think of a run better. I think you'd have to go back to the 50s and 60s of the Boston Celtics to have as good a run as the Golden State Warriors had over the last five years. Could have easily, think about it this way, folks. They could have easily won five championships. They should have won in 16 when they were up three games to one in the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it was only a Herculean effort by LeBron James to solidify that championship for the city of Cleveland. And last year, I know it was a great run, Kawhi Leonard leading the Toronto Raptors from nowhere land to the promised land, and I get all that. But how good would that series have been if Kevin Durant doesn't blow out his Achilles tendon and Clay Thompson doesn't blow out his right ACL? I mean, all credit is due and all credit should be due to the Toronto Raptors for winning their first and only NBA championship, but I think it would have been a little bit tougher at the very least if you have KD and you have Clay Thompson. But now the news is, is that not only did KD leave in the offseason and go to New Jersey, well, Brooklyn, but Clay, of course, is still rehabbing from his torn ACL. And then you get the news that Steph Curry the other night, some guy from Phoenix falls on his wrist and breaks his wrist. He's out for three months after having surgery on Friday. And now Draymond Green has a finger issue. I'm wondering here a couple of things. Is Steve Kerr going to suit up? They may need to have Steve <laughs> Kerr suit up here pretty well. And think about it this way, folks. If you're down in the dumps about the Cleveland, Ca- excuse me, the Golden State Warriors, don't be. With a lottery pick from next June's draft, and they sign a free agent or two, the Warriors will be rocking again in 2021. But I think this year is a lost year. Uh, There have been people, and there was a columnist this week in the San Francisco Chronicle that gave the opinion or offered the opinion that they should shut down Steph Curry for the rest of the year. Shut down Curry, shut down Thompson, obviously Durant's on the East Coast, Draymond Green, uh, Steve Kerr said this week that they're not going to burn out uh, Draymond Green. He may be the only one left of the Fantastic Four, but they're not going to burn him out. You can't sit him for the rest of the year with a finger issue, but again, you've lost KD. Uh, you're, you've got an, a rehabbing Clay Thompson. 
Steph Curry is out for a minimum of three months with a broken wrist. Thank God it was his non-shooting wrist, but regardless, he's out for three months. I think right now, (laughs) the Golden State Warriors, they've played a lot of basketball over the last five years. They've gone deep. Obviously, they've gone as deep as they can the last five years, having made five successive runs to the NBA Finals. Maybe this is just a do-over year, and now Bob Myers, the general manager, Joe LaCobe, the owner, Steve Kerr, the coach, now they concentrate on getting ready for the 2021 season. I think that's the best thing that they can do. We now uh, get back to regularly scheduled programming here on Unscripted as I hand the microphone over to the executive producer and we get this Freeform Friday party started and we welcome into the program Mr. Chris Luke. Thanks, Mike. So I like to always talk about uh, college football upsets in addition to the... uh you know, the Twitter stuff here. So this is from a couple days ago, but uh, Appalachian State, I see they lost at home to Georgia Southern. Appalachian State was a 14-point favorite. What can you tell me about that game or that out, uh, that outcome? Or well, this is uh, the second time Georgia Southern has upset a, a, a big-time team. If you remember Georgia Southern, I can't remember who the hell it was, but early in the year, you know, when you're getting those college football's version of preseason, you get a Big Ten, big, you know, a Power Five conference against the Georgia Southern, and Georgia Southern knocks somebody off this summer. Can't remember who. Um, Georgia Southern's a good football program because Appalachian State's a good football program too. And I still remember Appalachian State as the team that went into the Big House at Michigan in 2007 and knocked off the Wolverines. I enjoyed that day very much. Appalachian State is a, obviously a small program, but man. They are, they're a good football team. They're very well coached. And um, I don't know that much about either team. All I know is that when Appalachian State suits it up and they get ready to play, they play hard every week, and they're, they're consistently good. They don't kill themselves with stupid mistakes and turnovers and penalties. I applaud what they're doing at Appalachian State and hope that they continue to do so. Sounds good. We'll check back with those scores in a bit. There's a couple things I want to see happen before we do that. But, okay, let's just take a random tweet I found today. So, Kayla Vugd at Wino Poker. I remember being at Disneyland with my family and my aunt farted and blamed me. You're a bitch, Rhonda. I was seven. (laughs) I do that to my kids all the time. Do you really? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. That's great. I'm, I'm going to share my gastrointestinal problems with everybody, but I'm going to blame my kids. No, I, I do that, and it just drives them crazy, but they know where, they know the source. It doesn't last long, but yeah, I've done that to my kids. Embarrass the hell out of them, too. That's pretty funny. The, the expression on their face is priceless when it happens, too, because <laughs> you look at them and you go, really? <laughs> Dad, it's not us. That's eh, amazing. Know. It's me. Awesome. Okay, well, I know you've mentioned this gentleman before, so there's a tweet, not the tweeter, but uh, Clay Travis at Clay Travis. Good Lord, Hugh Freeze's Liberty team just posted over 500 yards of offense in a half. 502 yards of, uh, I think, 446 was uh, passing and a little bit of rushing there. But uh, I know you've mentioned Hugh Freeze before, so what do you have to say about that? Hugh Freeze is an offensive genius. Um, The problem is he got caught with his hand in the cookie jar. He was at UMA, excuse me, uh, University of Mississippi, Old Miss, what they call it down there, the Rebels. Um, he was the guy that was the coach at Ole Miss when they made that movie about the offensive lineman, Michael Orr. Oh, yeah, the blind side. The blind side, thank you. Hugh Freeze is an offensive genius. The problem is, is that he's a little bit crooked. And it's funny, 
He's reinvented himself, not his offense. His philosophy is still the same, but he's reinvented himself at Liberty University, which years ago was created, established, I guess is a better word, by the Reverend Jerry Falwell. And if you know the Reverend Jerry Falwell, well, you know he's a little crooked too. Sorry if I'm offending somebody there. The truth hurts sometimes. But I've always thought, you know, those TV televangelists, Jerry Falwell. Well, he was the first one. Him and, remember, this may be before your time, but I think you probably would have heard about Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. You've heard about those crooks. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I remember, like, Tammy Faye wore more Way too much makeup. makeup. And, the, and, and this isn't her fault, but one of the craziest things I ever saw. So she died of cancer, I believe. Correct. Yeah. And she was on... Larry King or something like right before she died and she was I mean a fraction of the size she was before and she still had all the makeup on it was I don't even it was the craziest thing to watch it was yeah I mean not her fault and you know and you know but holy moly well you know I always and I don't mean this I'm just making an observation but when I first saw Tammy Faye Baker on television years ago I thought she'd been beaten up by somebody because of all the shit on her eyes. And maybe she was. And and maybe she was. I don't know. I mean, we found Jim Baker. Obviously, he was uh, he was uh, running around with different members of the congregation and and uh, bil- bilking a lot of people out of their money. But Jerry Falwell was kind of in the same category, not real respected among his peers. Oh, they oh they're all they're all crooked. They're all crooked. They're like, all crooked. But isn't oh. it funny that you've got a crooked coach? who's now recreating himself, rebranding himself as an offensive guru at Jerry Falwell's university. I find that funny. Um, But again, in regard to your question, I think Hugh Freeze is an offensive mastermind. He was an offensive coordinator at one time, if I remember correctly, at the University of Florida, back under the Steve Superior days. They put up some prolific numbers at Florida, and a lot of that can be attributed to Hugh Freeze. Very good offensive mind, but a little bit on the crooked side. A little bit, yeah. Uh, okay. I'm trying to be nice. We're talking about the Lord, <laughs> okay. our Savior, Jesus Christ. Oh, geez. well, I, 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 I would respond you to that. You can edit. You can edit. I'd, that no, no, it's fine. I don't need to edit it. <laughs> I want to respond to it, but I don't have five hours. So anyway. I know. My voice can't last five yeah. more hours. Okay. Uh, it's funny. Uh, today when we were driving to Sushi, you mentioned Drew Brees and his alma mater, Purdue. Yes. So ESPN tweeted at ESPN about how uh, so this is his bye week so on his week off he's at Purdue and everyone knows how great his pregame speeches are for his teammates and how he gets them jacked up he's the best at that Correct. so he went and did a similar thing or he went and gave a pep talk to uh, Purdue uh, and uh, Purdue then went on to win on a touchdown in the final minutes of the game well that's really great you know hey listen um, I have the utmost respect for Drew Brees I think he's a he's a winner um, I really, if, if, if Green Bay can't win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years, I hope that it's Drew Brees. I think that there's a guy that deserves to win a championship. He's a proven leader. He's played against, with injury, he's played against some unbelievable odds. You know, people never thought little Drew Brees from Austin, Texas, uh, little Drew Brees from Purdue University, not a hotbed of college football athletes. But Drew Brees has accomplished an awful lot in his career, and I would love to see him win a champion. Now, I know he won the 2009. I get that, but I'd like to see him win one more. 
um, just because I think that would be a nice fitting topping of the career at the end. But I got to say this, as you bring up Purdue University, the Big Ten Network has a show called Campus Eats. And this week I saw something on Campus Eats. And I like to watch Campus Eats because there's a lady on there by the name of Jenny Dell. And I think she's gorgeous. I'll look her up. Yeah, please do. She is fine. But anyway, Campus Eats goes to all the different universities that comprise the Big Ten Conference. And they go and they look at the different eateries on campus, the ones that are most famous. And there's this one, I don't remember the name, but there's this one on in West Lafayette, Indiana, which is where Purdue University is located. There's one in West Lafayette, Indiana, where they put a burger on a bun, but instead of ketchup or whatever condiment you put on, you put the lettuce and the cheese and everything else on it if you do, if you do so desire. But then they put peanut butter on it. And it's one of the biggest sellers at this restaurant in West Lafayette, Indiana. And you know what? If weather permits tonight, I'm going to try the same thing at my home because I love peanut butter. I love hamburgers. And as I'm now just turned 55, I'm running out of ideas for new and creative things to do for dinner. So I thought, I saw this on television. It intrigued me. And I'm going to try it at my house tonight. And I will report back to you and Chris next week as to how the peanut butter burger tasted. Okay, sounds good. I'll be interested to see it. Uh, all right, and uh, it was so close to me having amazing news for you with an upset, and oh, I, I wanted it so badly, and I was saving it, but no, the game has gone final here. So maybe you're, I don't know if it's your least favorite college team, but it's certainly one of them probably, but the stupid Golden Domers barely pulled it out. So they were at home as 17.5-point favorites to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Virginia Tech was up 2014 with less than a minute to go. Notre Dame even had a 4th and 10 around midfield and converted it, and they ended up winning. Uh, They ended up getting a touchdown with 29 seconds left and kicking the extra point. So they won 21-20, just barely. But uh, yeah, I mean Notre Dame six and two already. They would have been five and three. So it's they're not exactly winning anything this year. They're not year, going to the playoffs. But it still would have been nice to see them. Uh, oh, it's always a, it's always a privilege to watch the Golden Domers lose, especially on their own television network, the NBC network. And I gotta say this, um, I watch Notre Dame football not to watch the Golden Domers. I watch Notre Dame football to listen to Mike Tirico. Mm. Tarico is the play-by-play guy. Oh, man. Okay. And it's Tarico and Doug Flutie in the booth. No way. And they're pretty good. Yeah. Um, now, Tarico, Tarico can make Cassie Campbell sound good. <laughs> Tarico is the best. Mm-hmm. Tarico is up there in Michaelsville. Yeah. Al Michaels, Mike Tarico, and a couple others. Um, I'd put Doc Emmerich up there. Yeah, so would I. I'd put Doc Emmerich up there. Mm-hmm. But... I watch Notre Dame football this day, these days, A, for two reasons. Always hoping the Golden Domers lose, and I'm a Catholic. Always hoping that the Golden Domers lose, but my real reason uh, is to listen to Mike Tirico call a football game. It is a pleasure yeah, to listen really to him I, I call a football game. How, I miss him on Monday Night Football. How they let him, it's just unbelievable. Well, unbelievable. How, how that happened is NBC offered him, you know, 
everything under God's green earth. They gave him an unbelievable contract, and he is going to be. You can already see that he's taken over the position of of uh, Bob Costas. Mm-hmm. They've eased Costas out. Mike Tirico has slipped in there. He's got some golf coverage for NBC. He does Notre Dame football. He does the uh, uh, Sunday night football hosting duties that uh, uh, Costas used to do. But I think someday, whenever Al Michaels decides to hand, hang it up, I think you have Mike Tirico go in oh, there yeah, yeah. and call Sunday night NFL for NBC. Yeah, well done, NBC, to have him waiting in the wings. That's just uh, brilliant. That's forward thinking is what yeah, that is. Yeah, well done, yeah. Okay, uh, this tweet is meant to show the difference in leadership or lack thereof of two quarterbacks in the NFL. So Rich Ornberger at Ornberger said, Baker Mayfield on Hugh Jackson's firing. I didn't lose 30-plus games, be fake, and then uh, go take the Cincinnati job. Uh, Philip Rivers on offensive coordinator Ken Wisenhunt's firing. Anytime something like that happens as a player, you're disappointed that you didn't play better. Well, that's, um, I mean, Helen Keller, my friend Helen Keller, could comment on that. And that's the difference between a class individual that's a future Hall of Famer and a guy that I think is going to run himself out of the league within four to five years. Um, Philip Rivers is as classy as you get, a devoted husband, Obviously, with eight kids, a devoted father, but a hell of a football player that just has never been able to get the right combination. He, he, I believe, is of Super Bowl pedigree. The problem is they've never had enough weapons around him. The best team that, in his time, the best team that the L.A. slash San Diego slash Tijuana City Chargers have ever had may have been last year's Los Angeles Chargers. And they came up a little bit short. I have nothing but the utmost respect for Philip Rivers for all the reasons I just mentioned. And I believe, again, and I want to make this perfectly clear. I want to make this crystal clear. If Baker Mayfield, and I've been hard on Baker Mayfield, but I think I'm being justified now because we're seeing the real Baker Mayfield. He's a punk. He's a loudmouth punk. And what I would say is this. If he doesn't get out of punkville pretty soon, he is going to run himself out of the National Football League, and he's going to be eerily similar to another guy that won a Heisman Trophy from the state of Texas and played professionally with the Cleveland Browns. And I know who you, <laughs> you and I know who you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. One John Manziel. Oh, good old John. All Never right. Johnny again. I, John, John Manziel. Yeah, gee, I wonder where he is right now. Well, he's looking at UPS and seeing if they're hiring. Wow, yikes. Yeah, Nighttime you, manager. <laughs> you'd need a driver's license and no criminal record for that, I think. Anyway, well, yeah, he's out. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. Okay, let's do a couple of... Uh, John Menzel's trying to catch on somewhere. <laughs> let's try and do a couple of uh, Halloween trick-or-treating tweets here. So uh, our favorite, Pat Sajak at Pat Sajak. If one more snot-nosed kid complains about the brie I'm giving out tonight, I'm turning off the <laughs> lights and closing the drapes. <laughs> okay, first and foremost, we both have the utmost respect for Pat Sajak. Um, he has been a class act for decades in Hollywood. And you know a guy is successful when there's never really been a scandal about him. You know, we've never heard about him uh, drinking and driving or getting pulled over for 
drinking and driving, or you never hear him about beating his wife or beating Vanna or whomever. I mean, in this day and age, for him to not make negative news is unbelievably, almost unfathomable because he's in the spotlight. He's in our living rooms every day. And yet we never hear anything bad about him. Always seems to be complimentary. But the second part of this for me is I am not a big fan of Halloween. Never have been. Okay. Never have been. That's fair. Um, and, you know, a lot like Valentine's Day, you know, you always hear that Valentine's Day is the hallmark celebration or the hallmark holiday. Well, what the hell is Halloween? Halloween is the candy it's for the candy uh, producing companies of the world. And I have never been a big fan of Halloween. In fact, if I didn't have my oldest daughter back at the house handing out candy, I would have shut the lights and pulled the drapes this week. Because you know what? Kids are so ungrateful these days. And I just you know, and I, I, I really believe that we should mandate that there should not be trick-or-treaters past maybe grade six. I mean, you get these older kids. We had a couple of kids. <laughs> we had a couple of kids at the house the other day that looked like they had been in the ninth grade for 12 years. They had beards. People with beards should not be trick-or-treating. That's funny. Go buy your own goddamn candy in the store. I just think that trick-or-treating should be for little kids because that's special to them. Mm-hmm. You get to a certain age where it looks like, you know, you've got the five-day beard on your face, the five-day growth, and you're sitting there and smelling like you've been sitting in the bar. You should not be allowed to go out and trick-or-treat, and that's what's taken some of the speciality out of it for me. That's, I hey, can't, can't blame him for that. But Okay, a couple more Halloween tweets here. The Onion at the Onion. Family without candy sits huddled, huddled in darkened house like Londoners during the Blitz. Been there, yeah. done it. Um, we we had a surprising number of kids at the house this week, and uh, when the first box got emptied, usually you're supposed to around here. It's an unwritten kind of thing that you keep your lights and your doors open from 6 p.m. Mountain Time to 9 p.m. Well, we ran out of candy at about 8:15, and I wasn't going to open the second box. <laughs> fuck them i had, we had done our time and we ran out of candy and if anybody asked me see in my neighborhood a lot of people do the lazy thing they put a, a bowl of candy on the step and you're supposed to you know on your honor you're supposed to only take one well come on um and again i go back to the kids that are ungrateful you know, the neighbor, well, the neighbor down the street gave out full three musketeer bars. Well, then go put on another costume and go visit his dumbass again. Mm-hmm. I think the kids are so ungrateful these days that it's, again, that's another reason it's taken a bit of the fun out of Halloween for me. I enjoyed it as a kid, but I was a kid. And, you know, there's so many things that scare me today, especially with, at one time, a father of young girls, people lacing the candy with with stupid shit, you know, razor blades and poisons and all this other crap. And, you know, a lot of cities in the United States open up their hospitals in regard to x-rays so they can go and put the, the candy through Jeez. the X-may mach- x-ray machine so they're not swallowing something potentially dangerous. That is bullshit. That's preposterous to me. And again, it, that's one of the reasons that I'm not so big on Halloween anymore. Sure. Okay, well, speaking of the candy, here's the last one. And this just... So Field Yates at Field Yates... Annual power rankings of the best Halloween candy. Number one, 
Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. Number two, all other candy. I couldn't agree more. You know, I'm starting to really enjoy what Field Yates does. Um, he's become, you know, kind of like uh, the other guy they got at the NFL Network, that uh, Ian Rappaport. I think he's a good information guy. Um, in, in regard to the National Football League, Ian Rappaport is very good with the NFL Network, but this Field Yates really comes up with some interesting stuff, and it's surprising because he works for ESPN. And we've already documented many times about what idiots are running ESPN and what idiots are working at ESPN because those idiots were hired by said morons. Reese's peanut butter cups are my favorite candy. And Judy actually, that's my wife, actually bought a bag to hand out last or two nights ago. <laughs> Once I saw the Reese's, that Reese's ended up in my closet because I'm not handing out the good stuff. Mm -hmm. They get what's ever left. And as I said previously, we had a box, and once the box was empty, <laughs> drapes go down, lights goes off, and let's go watch TV. Yeah, there you go. Okay, this is a good one for you as well. And if there's one, it's just funny you mentioned this, if there's one guy in Canada, especially when it comes to hockey, who has even better sources than Elliot Friedman, it's Bob McKenzie. Yes. Right? Agreed. Like, he's the man. Agreed. Really, good for Elliot Friedman as a young guy, but Bob McKenzie is the godfather Agreed. of this stuff. Yeah. So Bob McKenzie, uh, TS and Bob McKenzie, he responded to a tweet by uh, Shawnee Hill at Shawnee Hill, who said, and actually asked him specifically this, what is one American thing you wish Canada would adopt and vice versa? And Bob McKenzie said, four-day Thanksgiving and universal health care. Oh, absolutely. I mean... I will say this. I will say this publicly. I've said this to Chris and his wonderful wife, Martina, privately, but if I had had my heart attack in the United States, I'd be broke. I am very grateful for provincial health care in the province of, of, of Alberta and the country of Canada. I am very grateful. Um, I think that every health system has a few quirks and has a few, you know, things that certainly could be adjusted, um, but I have great respect and now great loyalty, but great, I, I, I don't know what else to say except I am unbelievably appreciative when I had my heart attack that I was in Canada because I would have been broke uh, ultimately uh, if I had had my heart attack in the United States. Um, I would have had health coverage down there because I am a military member, or, or mm. and I would have had access to fine organizations like USAA, and in a real pinch, you know, you could always go to a VA hospital, but let's be honest, the VA hospital doesn't always employ the greatest doctors and nurses in the world. So um, I am still grateful. And I will say this, when I had my heart attack two years ago, um, last week it was two years ago when I had my heart attack, I wrote a two-page letter to the um, unit that I was in on the 10th floor uh, at the Foothills Hospital Hill in Calgary. I wrote them a two-page letter thanking them for their professionalism, the way they took care of me, the way they responded to me. Um, I, I can't pay them back. I can't. I'm indebted to them as long as I live, and um, I'm hoping that's more than a couple weeks, but uh, I just... I couldn't agree with Bob McKenzie more. Uh, Four-day Thanksgiving. I would say this, though, in regard to the four-day Thanksgiving. I agree with that, but I wish that U.S. Thanksgiving was a little bit earlier on the schedule 
only because I'm not a big fan of turkey and doing turkey twice in 30 days is a bit much for me. That's my only complaint there. I totally agree with Mr. McKenzie in regard to universal health care and, and the four-day Turkey Day celebration. But again, I can't say enough about the way I was treated from the people, the staff, the doctors, the nurses, uh, from the cardiology unit. And I sent them a long letter thanking them for the way that I was treated. And uh, I will be forever in their debt at the Foothills Hospital here in Calgary. It's nice. Uh, okay, so the NFL at NFL, they had a free, you know, it's the 100th year of the NFL, so they had their... Hold on. Oh, hold sure, on. Sure. I don't mean to interrupt. No. You're the boss. But I got to say this. I have a huge problem with this 100th year crap. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do, I got, yesterday was my birthday, I got a present from my daughter that says the Green Bay Packers were established in 1921. This year, the NFL is celebrating 100 years. So you've got to expect that that would be, even for a math minor like me, that would be 1919, correct? 100 years. Last year, the Packers celebrated their 100th year. So that makes it, again, for a math minor like me, that makes it 2018. So who the hell is right around here? Three different entities in regard to with all connections to the national football league green bay celebrates 100 years last year the league itself and the chicago bears recognize their 100th season and on this thing that i got nfl mandated from the nfl uh you know the, 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 their uh the whatever their merchandising division says the green bay packers are established in 1921 it's a little confusing what year are we on Come on, guys, let's figure it out. We have three different beliefs of when an organization, a, a, a league, and, a, and the same organization. I mean, I think it's got to go back to Green Bay a little bit because Green Bay was originally the Acme Packers. So is that the team that was in 20, or excuse me, 1918? And then they get established as the Green Bay Packers in 1921? Come on, guys, give us some clarity here. We've celebrated 100-year seasons three years in a row. <laughs> There's a joke there, but I'm trying to find it. I'm just confused. That's why. No, uh, and as dumb as that is, I want to do some, I want to tell you about something in a similar vein that I think is even dumber. Yep. Believe it or not. And, of course, it's Vince McMahon. So, in 2009, they had WrestleMania 25. Okay. Okay, an annual yep. event every so spring. So, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, this year is WrestleMania 35. Right. But... They didn't do this stupid thing this year, at least. But in 2009, for WrestleMania 25, obviously held once a year in either late March, early April, right. always. Okay. Yeah. They marketed as they marketed it as, and I'm not making this up, the 25th anniversary. And it drove me insane, and it still bothers me because. I, I guess it would be too confusing to say like, oh, WrestleMania 25, 24th anniversary, because the numbers would be different, or to do it on WrestleMania 26 the next year, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? You guys don't know what an anniversary is? What What was 25 years ago? What was happening in the spring of 84 in WWF? Nothing. That's what was happening. <laughs> March 31st, 1985 was WrestleMania 1. Okay. 2009 is 24 years later. Yeah. <laughs> but there's WrestleMania 25, that means it's 25th. No, it doesn't. That's not what an anniversary is. That's 
I'm sorry, as dumb as you think that other 100 years stuff is, this is dumber. Oh, I agree. I'm not disagreeing. That is as dumb as it gets. So fuck you, Vince. Anyway. <laughs> okay. No, but what I was going to say with the NFL, with yeah, and, and I've noticed, uh, I, I know there's been a number of things with this NFL 100 that have annoyed me, but... How about this one? I just I just want to see what you think, and I know what you think about power rankings and lists and all this stuff. But I'm just going to give you. So they had a, they had a top 100 greatest game changers. I don't know if you saw this list. No, I haven't seen. This. Okay, no. I'm just going to give you two of the entries. Okay, okay. Number 92. All right. Aaron Rodgers. Number now now again. This could be necessary. This doesn't have to be players. It's not not it's not right. top 100 players. Top right. 100 things. Right. Okay. Occurrences, whatever. Yeah. Uh, yeah, top 100, whatever. Game changers. Right. That Game is. changers. So, okay. Top 100. So, number 92, Aaron Rodgers. Yep. Number 37, Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. Wow. Um, I don't know the last snap that a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader <laughs> took on an NFL playing field. Now, I know, I know that the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders were the birthplace, let's say, of today's current rash of scantily clad, beautiful women on the sidelines of an NFL game near you, except in Green Bay. Um, And I enjoy that part of the game, no question. But I don't think, I'm sorry, I have a problem with the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders on any list involving the National Football League. I know they play a role. I get it. Unless it's top cheerleaders. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Top cheerleaders. But um, I have a little bit of a problem when you're talking about 100 of the most, basically the most momentous events in the 102, 101, pick whatever year you want. But in the history of this league, to talk about the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders as number 37 of importance over the hundred years of this league is ludicrous. They played a role in changing the landscape of the NFL game, but from a viewer's view, they didn't do anything to change the game on the field. Well, maybe they did if they bent over and somebody looked over and snapped on two instead of three when they saw something they liked. But realistically, the game itself is no better or worse involving the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. Are they a part of history? Sure they are, because they changed the history of the National Football League in the way that cheerleaders became a part of the National Football League. Before the Dallas Cowboys, they did not have cheerleaders on the sidelines. That was strictly a co- oh, they college. Were the first ones? They were the first ones. They were strictly on college and high school sidelines. You know, high school bands, high school cheerleaders, college bands, college cheerleaders, yada, yada, yada. But the Dallas Cowboys were the first organization to uh, introduce us to professional cheerleaders. Now, they're not getting rich. Here's the thing that people don't understand. The Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders make $125 a game. That's what they make. Really? It's all they make. So they're not getting rich off of it, but obviously they're getting opportunity. They all have probably been in front of a camera for modeling opportunities and commercial endorsements and everything else, and the skimpier the better. But the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are there figuratively. They're there for something for our eyes to look at, obviously, and they enhance... Well, the men's, a lot of men, 
uh, it enhances their, their viewing pleasure during an NFL game. But these girls are not getting rich being NFL cheerleaders because, again, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders make $125 a weekend, and that's only on home games. So if they don't make the playoffs, they get eight paydays of 125 bucks. Wow. That's what they make. Interesting. Okay. All right. Last See, we're here to we're here to educate you here on that's on crazy. A thousand bucks a year. Thousand bucks a year. <laughs> Yikes! Uh, I wonder how many of them marry football players. Does that happen a lot? Well, Does, I, um, I don't think you hear well, about that a lot. I know that the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are not allowed to mingle with the Dallas Cowboy players. Really? Now I know that there is one Dallas Cowboy, and there's probably been others over the years, but the one that I know of was there was a Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders that married the Buffalo Bills tight end at the time by the name of David Nelson. But he was in the Buffalo Bills, so that was okay. But they are, they are mandated by whatever rules that there are. But I've heard this from many different sources, that the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders are not allowed to fraternize with any player on the current Dallas Cowboys roster. Oh, that's interesting. They need to go the other way and have a Dallas Cowboy marry a Buffalo Bills cheerleader because as we went over quite a while, probably maybe about a year ago, uh, the Buffalo Bills cheerleaders all have great instructions in their handbook about how to wash their vaginas. So, <laughs> so I remember that. Yes. So <laughs> Dallas Cowboys, you're looking for a cheerleader? Head to Buffalo, New York. Head to Western, <laughs> what we'll call upstate New York. <laughs> yes. All right. That's funny. Okay, so last tweet here, Ken Rutkowski at Ken Radio. Take a look at this. So this is from the University of Sydney. It's a new, It's a, just watch the video there. It's a new glue that you just literally squirt into a cut and it seals it in 60 seconds. It literally does all the work. You squirt this glue into your cut and it literally pulls the, pulls the cut together, seals it, and it's gone. You can't even see it. How is that for a game changer? Oh, my God. Oh my God! Who's got the patent on that? Yeah, maybe somebody's the University go- of Sydney. Maybe somebody's going to make millions off billions off of that. What an ingenious idea! You don't so even you have, have to like a, pull it closed. You so just you squirt it. Right, you're sitting on the sidelines. You just got scraped. Mm-hmm. You got a big gouge right there, and they can put this. Boom! Yeah, that is amazing. Oh my God! I wish we could get it on the bottom floor of that. Yeah, we'd be oh, we'd be wealthy. Yeah. we've got to run on this. Uh, 419th episode of Unscripted. We conclude another great week of shows. Thanks to everybody for participating. We truly appreciate it and hopefully that you continue to do so. And remember, folks, I haven't had to remind you in a while, but I thought it was probably time. You can always go on to one of our nine different social media avenues and leave comments, questions, whatever. Uh, We don't allow blood types anymore, but you know, if you've got something to say, and I can guarantee you, because Chris and I check this stuff, if you have something to say and it makes it to us, to our eyes, that we will bring it here on Unscripted and we will certainly talk about it. So like today, earlier on one of our episodes, we asked about um, who's the next coach or general manager or high-ranking uh, team off- official who's going to get fired next. Um, what are some of the things from the wacky and wonderful world of sports that make you go, hmm? If you have some questions, comments, or want to respond to anything like that, please feel free to do so. Leave a comment. And certainly, if you take the time to do that, Chris and I will bring it here onto Unscripted Air and make you a celebrity. 
That's my promise to you. We've got to run on this 419th episode uh, of our little program. Again, we thank everybody for participating and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.